So Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning at verse 17. Let's hear God's word. The Apostle Paul writes. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away uh, falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. May the 4th is known for those who like Star Wars as the day that is Star Wars Day. May the force be with you or may the 4th. And that got me thinking about some of the Star Wars um, spin-offs particularly the Mandalorian that some of you perhaps have watched I don't know I'm not by the way when I recommend when I reference a TV show or a movie or something I'm not actually necessarily recommending it this is not like you know like like a sort of parental guidance this is okay to watch I have no idea Uh, but there's one particular theme in the Mandalorian where the the um, the main character to be a Mandalorian, you have to wear a helmet and you can never take it off. And the phrase is, this is the way. But the Mandalorian, at some point in the series, apparently, uh, takes his helmet off and therefore he's excluded from the community. How does he get back in? And there's a rather, the story goes, there's a somewhat sort of complicated process he has to go through in order to be allowed back in to be a true Mandalorian. What is the way for Christians and for the church in reality, not in a Star Wars show for anyone anywhere, to be in with God? 
What do we need to wear? What do we need to do? What do we need to say? What do we need to believe? The Apostle Paul in his writing so far has got to this moment where he's applying the truths that he's been teaching. And essentially in this passage, he has three steps that he wants us to make. There is something we need to put off, something we need to put on, and therefore some things we need to put away. Put off, put on, put away. First of all, he's telling us we need to put off the old self. In verses 17 to 19, the Apostle Paul describes the reality of what the old self is like outside of Christ. He's not saying that everyone who is not yet a Christian behaves in always awful, evil ways. What he's saying is that in our natural human condition, there is a tendency towards a downward spiral towards increasing darkness. And in this downward spiral that uh, outside of Christ we all will experience, he essentially identifies three parts to it, or three steps in this downward spiral. The first is a futility of mind, verse 17. He says, don't anywhere walk like the Gentiles do, meaning those outside of Christ, those who are not yet Christians, in the futility of their minds. That's the first step in this downward spiral. He does not mean that non-Christians are less clever than Christians. What he's saying is that the truth of the matter is that if you're not yet a Christian, you realize that your existence ends at the grave. If you listen to how people speak, everyone understands this. What's the phrase? You only go around one time. That's the end. And that's true whether someone is very educated or less educated. The, the reality is that we know that the grave is the end and therefore life is futile. That's the futility of mind. Uh, the notorious author Vladimir Nabokov, who is infamous for his horrible book called Lolita, at the end of his life wrote an autobiography that he called Speak Memory. And in that autobiography he described this futility of mind. He said... The cradle rocks above an abyss. Common sense teaches us that existence is a mere glimmer between two eternities of darkness. The futility of the mind. That's the first step in the downward spiral. You know that life ends at the grave. That leads, says the Apostle Paul, to hardness of heart. They're darkened in their understanding and they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. What he means here is the heart in the Bible is not merely the emotional or feeling part of us. It is the whole center of who we are. What the Apostle Paul here is describing, a decision that is made to say no to God. We sung earlier, I have decided to follow Jesus. What the apostle means by the hardness of heart is a decision inside to say, no, God, I have not, I've decided not to follow Jesus. And in the Bible story, the most famous example of this is, the, is uh, Pharaoh in, in Egypt when God's word came to Pharaoh and uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. That is, he said, no, I'm not going to listen. 
And there's a great mystery there about the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. If you're in Christian circles, you probably are thinking along those lines every time Pharaoh is mentioned. You think about, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, that's, uh, that's true, but it's also, told, it's also told us that Pharaoh hardened his own heart as well. Both are true. I, if you want to explore that further, I wrote a paper on it that's uh, at the back of the church or it's already gone from the 8 o'clock service. I can certainly email it to you. God's sovereignty and human responsibility. But the point is, in biblical language, to, to harden your heart is to say no to God's word. Of course, the great irony of Pharaoh hardening his heart is that he was doing exactly what God's word had told him to do, had said was going to happen. How ironic is that? God's word said that Pharaoh would say no to God's word. And when Pharaoh said no to God's word, he was doing what God's word said. The Lord is sovereign. But the Apostle Paul is really just simply saying here, they say no to God. That leads to a final step in the spiral down into darkness that we're seeing in our inner cities and in our society today with increasing violence, sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Where does that come from? It says, verse 19, they have become callous. The word callous means literally not feeling pain. What the Apostle Paul is saying is when you have a futility of mind, you know that the grave is the end. And because of that, you're somewhat angry at life and God and think, I'm going to say no to God and morality. The final step of that is therefore your conscience no longer feels the pain that it should feel when you do something wrong. And we see that everywhere today, don't we? Uh, People doing the most gross deeds of killing as just a shooting just this week of little five-year-olds shot with a with a machine gun and like, what kind of world do we live in the answer is exactly the world that the apostle paul describes in the bible it's the old self the human condition how wrong is our educational systems that teaches us that people are basically good what utter nonsense open your eyes there is an old self, not that everyone is always as wicked as, we, as they could be. Of course not. God's gracious favor constantly holds back our darkness in the natural world, in the human society, is, and that is his kindness to us. But the tendency of the old self is this spiral from the futility of mind to the hardness of heart to I will do whatever I want to do because life is short and I've got to grab it while I can. Very logical. Makes absolute sense from an old self point of view. And the Apostle Paul is saying, put that off. Instead, uh, second point, we must now put on something different. What do we need to put on? Uh, Verses uh, 20 to 24. Well, here comes the new self. He says, verse 20, that is not the way you learn Christ. You didn't learn Christ like that. You're Christians. You're not to be like that. Assuming that you've heard him or taught in him, in other words, he's saying, I'm not going to assume that everyone in church really is a Christian, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through these deceitful desires that I just explained, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on what? What are we now to put on? The new self. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Well, there are three elements that Paul identifies here about this new self, just as there were three elements that he identified about the old self. First of all, we must learn. That is not the way you learn Christ. Do not please think that Christianity is merely an emotional experience. There is truth. And to put on the new self, it begins with learning truth. Not hugely complicated, overly intellectual, obscure, mysterious truth, but simple, plain truth. Uh, John Wesley, who uh, was the, the famous Christian leader that founded the Methodist uh, dom- denomination, uh, was Oxford educated, an extremely bright man. He published many books. One of the uh, series of books he published is a 50-volume a uh, set of uh, works called the Christian Library, uh, a devotional, a set of uh, excerpts from great Christian devotional literature. In the preface to this 50-volume thing, John Wesley said that our truth is not obscure, mysterious, and overly complicated. Our truth is the simple, plain truth of Scripture. Namely, we love because he first loved us. It's not obscure and conspiracies and mysteries. It's not overly complicated, but it is something to learn. There's doctrine. Charles Spurgeon once said, he who is the enemy of doctrine is the enemy of Christian practice. You must learn something. What a huge mistake it is that churches have taken out doctrine from the church in order to be practical And then they're surprised that people are not practicing the truth. Why are they not practicing the truth? Because they don't know what the truth is. You must learn, first step. Of course, then we uh, spend time teaching the Bible. But it's not merely intellectual or doctrinal. It is a personal encounter. We must learn truth. We must meet Jesus. See how the Apostle Paul describes this truth. How you were taught, verse 1, in him. Uh, Verse 21, you are taught in him, or as the truth is in Jesus. In the original Greek, it's a very interesting way he's phrasing it. You would think he would, as the truth is, and then he would describe some idea. But the truth for a Christian is a personal truth. It's the truth in Jesus himself. You have an opportunity to meet Jesus this morning. And to put on the new self, you need to encounter him. As as Jesus said in the book of Revelation to the church of Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Here he is, Jesus. You may meet him. Will you open the door of your heart, of your mind, of your life? But the final step in the new self is the spiritual renewal, the regeneration. Verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This, of course, is to be born again. But when we use the phrase born again in American culture, it's often associated with a sort of political system or something like that. But To be born again is not an invention of uh, of right-wing politics. Uh, Being born again was not invented by Jimmy Carter in the 1970s. To be born again is a creation of God himself. 
to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you have the new self? Have you been born again? As you all know, I have a great familiarity with baseball. And, but I read in one place about a, a famous baseball game, and perhaps some of you will know, it was in, in a World Series game. In the seventh game of the World Series, and uh, the final inning, and uh, the last batter, and the, the score was tied, and the, the final batter gets up to the plate. Moment of great drama. And he hits the ball and sails out of the park to a home run. The place is like, well, you can imagine, it's like, whoa! And he goes around, gets to the, the, uh, the home plate, and the umpire calls him out. You should be glad, by the way, I got that right. Last time at the 8 o'clock service, I thought that was out, but actually it's this that's out. So, <laughs> uh, Why? Why was he called out? He never touched the first base. What about you? Here you are in church. Perhaps you know the songs. You've been to church before. Have you put on the new self? Put off the old self. Put on the new self. And then, he says, put away the lie. This runs from verses 25 to verse uh, 32. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, and uh, you see he comes back to that phrase, put away in verse 31, again, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Uh, Literally, when it says here, put away falsehood, it is not the abstract falsehood, but it is literally the lie. What the Apostle Paul here is teaching is that when we become a Christian, though we have the new self, we still have the, the vestiges, the remains of the old self with us. And the task of Christian discipleship is to become more and more like the, the new self and less and less like the old self. In a sense, a Christian in their own psychology and internal mind and heart is always at war. That's not true with a non-Christian. There's just the old self. So if you're struggling with some sin or temptation or other, it's a good sign that you really are a Christian. Because if you were not struggling, you would not be a Christian. That doesn't mean you shouldn't put it away, but it's a sign that you have the new self. We, as it were, are, um, in Lloyd-Jones's illustration, a person who has two horses, the old self and the new self. And our task is increasingly to ride the new self horse. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it, away, puts it here, put away the lie. 
The lie is that the old self uh, defines us as a Christian. Not true anymore. We're now defined by the new self, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put away the lie. And the Apostle Paul here in six brief staccato um, sentences, if you like, addresses some very practical ways that we need to put away uh, the lie. Uh, He gives a a positive, a negative, and a rationale. That's the, the basic pattern for each of them, though he doesn't follow that pattern rigidly, as you'll see. Uh, The first is truth speaking. Speak the truth with his neighbor, verse 25. Why? For we are members one one of another. What an interesting reason why a Christian should speak the truth to their neighbor, the person in the world that we know, to love our neighbor, but to speak the truth to our neighbor. Why? Because we as Christians are members of one another. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, my truth speaking, my witness, my verbal witness, my honesty with my words... Uh, impacts everyone in the church. Have you ever thought of that as a reason to be a truthful person? That the words you use and how you speak to your neighbor impacts everyone else. You are not merely an individual Christian here at College Church. You're part of the church. And every time we walk out those doors and start to interact with our neighbors... Uh, we are carrying with us the witness of the, whole, of the whole of College Church. Speak truth to your neighbor. Why? Your members one of another. You're part of a body. What you do out there impacts all of us. Every single one. That's one way to put away the lie. Truth speaking. Uh, second, uh, verse uh, 26, anger. And again, it's fascinating how the Apostle Paul puts this. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Note, he doesn't say simply, don't be angry. There is a place for anger, righteous anger. But anger, even righteous anger, is always a dangerous emotion. Very easy for anger to bleed over to doing something or saying something that is hurtful to someone else. So yes, there is a place for righteous anger, and perhaps in some ways we need more of it. There are things about which we must be angry and not passive. Is the church becoming too passive about injustice and immorality and evil? I hope not. But there are great evils out there that it should stir us emotionally. We should be angry about them. But in our anger, we are not to sin. What does that mean? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. A great rule for marriage, by the way. Um, Not to carry over anger from one day to the next day. You won't be able to resolve every problem you have before the sun goes down, but you can do enough so that you're no longer angry. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because when we're angry in a way that's sinful, we're giving opportunity to the devil. What a reason not to sin in our anger. We're giving a foothold to the old self, uh, run by the devil himself. 
Uh, Then the Apostle Paul talks about our material possessions, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Again, it's fascinating how he puts it. Um, We are not to steal, but instead work with our own hands, our own work. It could be physical labor as a carpenter. It could be... Uh, financial labor, the point that Paul's making is it should be, uh, it's our own responsibility to make a living. Go out there and work, make money. Honest, good work. It's a Christian thing to do. But why? So that we might be generous. Don't rob Peter to pay Paul. Don't be constantly in debt As uh, John Wesley put it, I've quoted him once already, but as he put it, our task is to make as much as we can, save as much as we can, and give as much as we can. Are you giving to the work of the church? The Apostle Paul expects it, so that we may have something to share with anyone in need. Don't steal. There could be someone here who is stealing. Stop it. Instead, get a good job. Make money, then give it away. And then the Apostle Paul, he's applying, uh, putting away this old self in the gradual progress of doing it, he talks about our corrupting talk. Uh, This is talk literally that that goes bad, or as it puts here, corrupts, it, it decaying talk, that's the image. Instead of doing that, again, it's fascinating how he describes it, our attitude should be to only say things that's going to build someone else up. What a good rule. Before you say anything or before you write an email, think, will this lift someone spiritually? Will it build them up? If not, don't say it. Uh, Only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, which of course requires wisdom to say the right thing at the right time. Why? So that we may give grace to those who hear. As we're all members of the body of Christ, we're all agents of grace, and with our words to one another, we have the opportunity to give grace and encouragement and help and spiritual sustenance to everyone around And then he says uh, that we are to not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's a very profound statement he has here. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that because we have this new self, we have the Holy Spirit within us. In some profound and mysterious way, it is actually possible for the Christian to grieve the Spirit. Again, what a motivation to put away the lie, the falsehood. It doesn't mean that when we sin, we stop being a Christian. Christians do sin. But when we sin, we lose the joy of our relationship with God, for we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What a motivation to pursue righteousness by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's looking ahead. In this world, we will always uh, have a battle with uh, the old man, but one day the Holy Spirit that has sealed us, the gift of the Holy Spirit tells us that that we are a Christian, so we're going to heaven, 
But nonetheless, it is possible to grieve him. And so the Apostle Paul tells us not to sin, that we might not grieve the Spirit, that instead we might have the joy of the Spirit. Are you lacking spiritual joy? Could it be very simply, not, not for some complicated psychological reason, though there can be those things, but could it be very simply that you are sinning and therefore grieving the Spirit? And then finally, he says, as he's applying this, uh, uh, put off the old self, put on the new self, and therefore put away, increasingly as we seek to become more and more like the new self, the truth, not the lie, he then uh, talks about the importance of kindness. So he says, verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. From you, along with what? All malice. So together, all these things, the old man has a, has, a, has a malice to it, which, of course, is the opposite of kindness. And so he says then, verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We massively undervalue the apologetic of Christian kindness. Sinclair Ferguson in his little book on Ephesians uh, retells the story at this point of Augustine, the great Christian leader Augustine's conversion. Augustine, as you, you probably know, came from a highly educated and sophisticated background in the Roman Empire and was a brilliant young leader and had given himself up to the experiences of the old man. And Augustine came under the influence of and went to hear the preaching of another great Christian leader from the past called Ambrose. Ambrose was known for his brilliant preaching and his, his profound insights into spiritual truth and, and all that. And Augustine, uh, who was an educated and sophisticated man, was surprised to find within the church a, a sophisticated articulation of the truth in a way that, 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 that attracted him, that made sense to his mind. And in Augustine's description of this, he, he talks about this. But then he says, as he recalls Ambrose, he says, but Ambrose, it was not your sophisticated teaching that won me over. It was that to me... You were kind. Oh, may that be true of us. When everyone come, anyone comes in the door, they experience kindness. How rare it is to find Christians who are zealous for truth and kind. <laughs> John Stott, when he talks on this part in, in his commentary on the a book of Ephesians, according to Stott, he says that the early Christian leaders notice in the Greek language a verbal resonance between Christ and kindness. So in Greek, Christ is Christos, and the word kindness is Christos. And according to Stott, if you read the ancient literature, you'll find that they'll make this connection between those who follow Christos now, to be kind, that is, if you follow Christos, you must be Christos. Kind. 
Why? We've been forgiven. So we are to forgive those around us. Well, there's a lot here, and I've only touched on it, but essentially it's built on these three admonitions. First, put off the old self, then put on the new self. And then if you really are a Christian, you have an ongoing battle throughout your whole life to gradually put away the lie, the lie being the old self and the truth being the new self that is being created after the likeness of God within you until one day we go to glory and fully experience the, the presence of Jesus and the, the new life without temptation to sin. When I was uh, first going up to college as a, as a student, my older brother gave me a pair of boots. And uh, some of you may know this brand name, but they were a particular kind of boot called Doc Martens. And I loved those boots. And I wore them all the time and just kind of wore them out, really. Doc Martens are known for having very comfortable sort of bouncing soles. But they're also known for when you first get them, the leather is very stiff. And you have to wear them in until the leather molds to your, your foot. Somewhat similarly, when you become a Christian, you have the new self. But you have to learn to put it away, put away the old self. Put away the lie and become more and more like you were designed to be as a follower of Jesus. Well, let's pray together. Our Lord God, uh, we do pray that uh, we would put away uh, the old self, put on the new self, and then gradually, uh, having put off the old self and put on the new self, put away the lie. Lord, may uh, the thief here this morning stop stealing. Uh, may uh, the uh, person here who is always angry and shouting stop being angry and deal with their anger each day. May the person who holds on to the truth with great zeal but is not kind learn to be kind may the person who doesn't give a, a real account of themselves to their neighbor but represents themselves in ways that are not true learn to speak the truth and all of this law we know matters because if we are yours we together are a witness to what you've done among us we're members of one another, one body. But, O oh, Father, our earnest desire is not only that those who are yours would learn increasingly to put away uh, the, the lie of the old self, but those who are not yet yours this morning would today meet you, Jesus, and by your Spirit, be made new and have the new self, the new power at work within them, created by you yourself. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you move among us and touch those who don't 
yet have that new self to cause them to come to life and to know you personally. And so begin the journey of increasingly putting away the lie of the old self along with the rest of us. For we ask it for Jesus' glory. Amen.